Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest set of uh, vodkas. And this is going to be on imaging of incidentalomas, challenges in the ER and beyond. And we've addressed this topic before, but I gave this talk several times in the last couple months of 2013, and I thought I would share it with you. There's no doubt incidentalomas are very important. And what is an incidentaloma? It's an unsuspected finding in an organ or organ system that was not the primary source of the patient's presentation. And the real key is with an incidental finding is the determinant significance of whether or not it needs further evaluation. Interestingly, the term incidentaloma has even made it to Wikipedia. And you can see it lists many of the different areas of incidentalomas from adrenal to renal to pituitary and the like. The New York Times also comments about the problem with incidentalomas. The fact is that you can see the bottom line. CT scans often turn up incidental problems that are better left untreated. And that indeed is the challenge. We addressed this in an article several years ago, uh, looking uh, to see whether radiologists dealt with incidental findings the same. And what we did is we looked at three different institutions, Hopkins, NYU, and Stanford, to try to figure out what are people doing, what are they recommending. And we picked 12 incidental CT findings. What do you do? A thyroid nodule, a lung nodule, coronary calcification, adrenal, pancreas, liver, uh, renal high density, intussusception in the jejunum, 1CM low density spleen, gallbladder, ovary, and ovarian cysts in both pre- and postmenopausal women. And it's kind of interesting. These seem like things we see every day, and perhaps we all agree on how to manage them. But interestingly, 70% or greater agreement on interpretation was only seen in six findings. The other six had less than 70%. And when you look carefully at the data, you saw that agreement was lacking not only across institutions, but within departments. Individual departments, therefore, should develop their own guidelines. I think the point I was trying to make in, in looking at this article was to say, we don't know a perfect answer for many of these things, but it's really bad if you're at Hopkins and you speak to three different radiologists who give you three different opinions. You need to have one concerted opinion. Now, I know this opinion may not be perfect, but you need to come up with the best opinion and everyone needs to agree on it or someone needs to decide what is the best mode. But you can't have everybody doing different things. It drives the clinicians crazy and it's really poor patient care. Um, Incidental findings go so far as this article by Cole. Uh, the frequency of incidental findings, the high rate of false positive amongst incidentalomas, the low rates of malignancies and potential financial emotional costs to the health system and the patient necessitate a thorough uh, informed consent process. They're saying that because incidental findings are common and at least 10%, 7 to 10% liver, Adrenal, depending on age, up to 8%, thyroid, up to 5%, pancreas, 3%, and on and on. They were saying that you should tell this to the patient before they get the study. Now, that's something we don't do, and I know you don't do, and I know we ain't going to do. But it does make the point and focus on this incidental issue. Now, the question might be, how often can you define an incidental finding? Now, of course, it depends who you are. Some people see an incidental finding on every single study. Some people cannot read a study as normal. But let's look at some of the published articles in the literature and try to get some numbers. This was an article in the days of CT screening, Brad Zawoski, 1,777 patients, and a third of the patients were abnormal. Now, 
uh, you can see of the 574 abnormals, um, not quite half were pulmonary nodules. But you can see they did detect cancers, 19 cancers in 1,777 patients. They found aneurysms and gallstones and ovarian cysts. But a lot of patients with findings, the findings were not significant. A recent article talking about extravascular findings on CTA of the aorta and lower extremities and they found out, and this is again, you think about it, who you're doing the aorta and extremities on, typically it's an older population. And this population, 15% had previously undiagnosed highly important findings. And again, it's very important, this article makes the point, to look carefully at the studies because you will see findings. And you can see of the 462 findings overall, 43 were of high importance, 77 moderate importance, and 342 were low importance. So again, you can see what we can expect. Eight of the 275 patients had findings of high significance that resulted in medical or surgical therapy, including lung cancer, renal cell cancer, colon cancer, cholangiocarcinoma, and pulmonary coccidiomycosis. But you can see there are malignancies, and this is a population where you're not suspecting or looking for any possibility. Song, another article. Now, in this case, they were looking at patients with hematuria. Now, one of the most common incidental zones is indeed the kidney, but in this case, they're saying forget the kidney because that's why we did the study. So outside the kidney, 6.8% of patients had clinically important or potentially important incidental findings that required further evaluation. So that's pretty high, almost 7% leaving out the kidney. Now, lung nodules were the most prevalent, aneurysms, ovarian masses, but there were five neoplasms. And again, here's the article, and it's well worth reading, figuring out specifically what you're looking at. There's no doubt every series, if you scan the chest, you will have a lot of lung nodules. You remember from lung cancer screening, 30 to 60% of patients had nodules that were just benign. So again, when you think about the frequency of incidental findings, it depends on what are you scanning. There's less frequent incidental findings in the abdomen versus chest versus chest and abdomen. Why you're doing the study, age of patient. Scanning protocol used. The better the protocol, you may have less incidental findings because you can analyze the findings better. The age of the patient, the older the population, the more likely there are incidental findings, and who is reading the study. Again, as I mentioned before, there are some people who have never seen a scan where they can recommend three more studies for three unsuspected findings. And so going back to my initial comment at the beginning of this talk, incidentalomas, what's its significance? What do we need to do, if anything? Do we need biopsy? Do we need surgery? Or do we need to do nothing? What do you tell the patient? And if additional studies are necessary, who pays for these studies? Now, we say a lot of the findings are not very important, but I showed you three articles which found carcinoma of the kidney and aneurysms and lung masses and PEs and pancreatic cystic tumors. So it indeed is really a challenge. Now, when you get into the ER, it's even more difficult. You're often not doing very specific protocols. You're doing very much general protocols at times, depending on how you do CT in the ER. But when I look, most places are doing single phase, and that gives you a limitation on how you could look at lesions and classify them. It's hard to get delayed phases or additional images because the patients are often long gone before you see the images. 
and you often only have minimal past history or old records for comparison, which is always a challenge. We all know whether it's CT, MR, plain films, an old film can be your best friend. Now, a couple simple things. In the kidney, you see this lesion, 76 Hounsfield units, well-defined non-contrast. What is that? Well, you know, that's a high-density renal cyst. Another example, look at the lesion anterior portion left kidney. Non-contrast, round and smooth and well-defined in about 70 Hounsfield units. And there have been several articles. Here's an article by Johnish. A homogeneous renal mass measuring greater than 70 Hounsfield units, a non-contrast CT, better than a 99.9% .9 chance of representing a high attenuation cyst rather than a carcinoma. So indeed, very important. If you're doing non-contrast scans in the ER and you see high density, you can stop at that point. Now, what's nice is if you look at some other articles more recently published, here's an article by O'Connor looking at incidental masses on non-contrast CT. And what he found in his article was attenuation is critical. Masses containing fat or with attenuation less than 20 or greater than 70 were considered benign if they not contain this thickened walls or septations, three or more septations, mural nodules, or thick calcifications. Between 20 and 70, they were indeterminate. So you see that article talking about over 70, 99.9%. This matches that article. And again, 20 to 7 is your risk point. If you do a non-contrast study in the ER or anywhere and the lesion measures 35, you definitely need to give IV contrast and evaluate further. Pooler went a step further. What he did is he looked at all his proven renal cell carcinomas and found that in the non-contrast CT, they always measured 20 to 70. So again, anything in that 20 to 70 zone, I would consider the danger zone. Quoting, given that renal lesions completely outside this range have been proven to be benign in previous work, we conclude that indeterminate renal lesions on non-contrast CT that contain areas that cross over into the 20 to 70 Hounsfield unit danger range will warrant further workup. But again, less than 20 over 70, you typically will be in good shape. Now let me show you some of the challenges. You look at this lesion in the left kidney, it is solid. And you look at it on another image, there's also what appears to be either enhancement or faint calcification. And you look at it and say, oh God, this looks like a solid mass. Maybe it's a papillary, it's not very vascular. And here it is on delayed phase imaging, excretory phase, it looks identical. And if you measure it, it measures identical. Now, I'm going to tell you something I found, that if a lesion from arterial or venous phase to excretory phase does not change in density, I really think it's going to be a high-density renal cyst. If you looked at these images, you might say, this is a renal cell carcinoma. Take it out. Ablate it. Partial nephrectomy. Well, we did get a non-contrast scan, and the lesion measures the same on non-contrast CT. You see the faint calcifications. This was a high-density renal cyst, a leave-alone lesion. So you can see one thing in the ER, as we try to minimize dose, we routinely often do not do non-contrast CT. We rarely do, except in stone protocols, and this will be the problem. You can overcall. Remember, we've shown articles that 25% of renal masses removed surgically are actually benign, and this would surely be one of the reasons. Okay, so that's the kidney. What about the adrenal? When we talk about incidentalomas, adrenal gland has always been the poster child. Incidental finding of an adrenal lesion. I remember way back in CT in the early days, 
the way you would follow up adrenal nodules was very much like we followed up lung nodules. Six months, 12 months, and two years. If it didn't change, you considered it benign. Now, in this article by Song, they make the point that about 5% of patients or so, and the articles go 5 to 8%, have incidental adrenal lesions. And in this article, they looked at 973 patients who had an incidental adrenal lesion but no history of cancer, and every single lesion was benign. And their point, they suggested perhaps that in a patient without malignancy, regardless of the density, you may be able to follow the lesion conservatively or get no follow-up at all. Their conclusion, the results of our study show that none of the incidentally detected adrenal masses was malignant in patients with no known malignancy. If an incidental adrenal mass appears benign in imaging and the patient has no known malignancy, follow-up imaging appears to have a limited role. Now, the uh, American College of Radiology, looking at incidental findings, made the point that, again, what are we trying to do? Separate the leave-alone lesions, adenomas, myelipomas, hemorrhage, or cysts, from lesions that warrant further evaluation. Uh, they made some comments, but they said that, hey, this white paper should not be used to establish a legal standard of care in any particular situation. Well, that means whatever they say is not worthwhile because... I think one of the important things the ACR needs to do, or some organization, very much like the Fleischner Society, come up with rules, make that how we practice. There's no doubt that the rule of under four millimeters with a nodule in the lungs ignore. We all know that even a 10 centimeter mass was once two millimeters, but statistically it's the way we manage patients and it's the right thing to do. So adrenal mass, what do I consider? Size unilateral versus bilateral, attenuation, presence of fat or calcification, and enhancement pattern. The simplest thing is well-defined lesion, under four centimeters, under 10 Hounsfield units, it's an adenoma. And now you could see the challenge in the ER I mentioned before is this lesion, well-defined, low density, measures water density, it's an adenoma, that's really easy. But look what happens when you give IV contrast. Now it measures 64 Hounsfield units. So if you only had the arterial phase like you were doing an aortic dissection, you would not know what this lesion is. Now if you see it, what you could do is get a delayed scan, and we have training our techs to call us if they see the adrenal lesion, because then on the delayed scan it washed out and you can feel very comfortable to an adenoma. We know it looks benign, but now you have proof. If a lesion has fat, as in this, it's a myelipoma. It's not a liposarcoma. And occasionally when these get large, they get removed because, as in this case, they can bleed. So occasionally myelipomas present with right upper quadrant pain, maybe even simulate gallbladder processes because they can bleed. Most of them will contain lots of fat, but not always. Here's one with a little bit of fat. But key to me is the punctate calcifications. Fat and punctate calcifications are key, are key to making the diagnosis. Blah, 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 blah. Ooh, I got to get that word out. I feel like a Steinfeld episode. Anyway, uh, myelipomas are not uncommon, okay? And the adrenal is the key area. Now, there is one pitfall, why you follow rules. If you look at this case, it's a small lesion. Eh, eh no history of malignancy, based on the prior article by Song, maybe you leave it alone. But when you put a, a density, it measures 50. And we do not let things go by when they're 50. Maybe it's a non-fat adenoma, 
We don't know what it is, but we do adrenal protocol. With contrast, the lesion's enhancing. And when you measure it, it's 164. This was an incidental pheochromocytoma. So again, if lesions are higher density, you need to evaluate them. Adrenal protocol, inject contrast, 60 seconds and 15 minutes, and the non-contrast is the way to go. Now, occasionally, we will see lesions that kind of look like adrenal masses. The lesion on the left was resident adrenal mass, but you know it was the lowest scan of a chest CT, and it really is the fundus of the stomach. So occasionally, diverticulum of the stomach or the fundus sitting back can simulate an adrenal nodule. Now, what about the pancreas? And the pancreas incidental lesions is something that indeed is very common. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stop right here? Let's take a break and come back and discuss the incidental pancreatic mass.